before we read the passage, um, I'd like to give just a little bit of an introduction to our study this evening. And uh, what we'll be considering is, is specifically our devotion to our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, particularly in the area of our obedience to him. And so the topic of obedience, uh, as we find it all throughout the scriptures, New Testament and Old Testament, something that is very important to the Lord. And uh, so it's something that we want to uh, consider, to often consider very carefully in our lives. I think uh, many times our approach or maybe our reaction uh, to this topic, though, uh, it can be one of um, maybe discouragement because we want so much to please the Lord. And uh, yet we see the inconsistencies in our lives and uh, not remembering that that where sin abounded, grace did much more. And so tonight, I believe that the Lord wants us to see again or just be reminded again of the great blessing and the reward uh, that the Lord has for us as we pursue obedience in our lives. It's never with any condemnation from him where we fall short, but always with the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, that call to press on in the faith. And so uh, tonight, may we just be reminded that, that obedience is, is the outworking of love. It's the outworking of our devotion. Uh, it's personal worship, uh, an undivided heart. Uh, that's what we desire. And these ideals, they are, uh, we're not perfected in, but we long for these things as believers. And uh, again, it's the working out of our faith, and it's, it's a primary way that we, we express our, our worship to the Lord. But often I think that uh, we as believers, we can get lulled to sleep spiritually, so many distractions that, that compete for our heart's affections. And, and as a result, uh, this, this pursuit of, of, of undeterred obedience to Christ, it's downgraded in our lives sometimes, I think, and it's important. It becomes selective selective sometimes and uh, maybe we can settle with the idea that well we've gone most of the way and we've done most of what God has has called us personally to do and then begin to make excuses for the for the things that remain undone and the problem is that when this happens uh, there's a loss of effectiveness our effectiveness as a servant of the Lord many times oftentimes there's a loss of joy in our lives, and our, our progress uh, spiritually can get stunted. And so I think the Lord would have us to consider this evening uh, that the end result of obedience in our lives, the submission to Christ, is joy, joy in his presence, and uh, the joy of being used to draw others into his presence, into his kingdom. Jesus said in John chapter 15, Verse 10 and 11, if you keep my commandments, you will, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And then in verse 11, he says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Uh, the great Bible teacher from years ago, G. Campbell Morgan, said, one thing necessary for the fulfillment of life is that of surrender, loyalty, obedience to God. So rather than us having any discouragement uh, as we come to this topic this evening, may the Lord instead stir our hearts with his love to pursue him with a with singularity of heart above all other loves, uh, not only to bless us with just a, a deeper and closer relationship with him, but, but to make us more useful as servants advancing his kingdom. 
And, of course, remembering very importantly that what he calls us to, uh, he enables us to do by his Holy Spirit in us. So the title of this evening's message is Wholehearted. And uh, we will take again for our anchor verse, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. And it reads, As the Lord has great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. Well, this word of the Lord, we recall it, it comes by way of the prophet Samuel to Israel's first king, Saul. And uh, to fill in some of the background to this text, we'll first just consider the man Saul. Uh, This was a man that is basically introduced to us uh, in the Bible as the product of the people, the people of God, basically dethroning God himself and desiring instead a, a king of their own choosing. And, uh, and God gave them their request. And uh, this can be very, a very unpleasant reality, uh, God granting our requests that go against his perfect will for us. Uh, the Israelites did this in the wilderness. They, they craved for meat. And uh, according to Psalm 106.15, it says uh, he, he gave them and, got, and he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. Um, and, and the leanness they experienced was the very opposite of fulfillment. It's the opposite of joy. And, uh, and so when we, when we study the condition of God's people under the reign of Saul, uh, we find the same thing. It was, it was, there was leanness, there was lack of fulfillment, it was less than what God intended. Early on in Saul's reign, uh, he was small in his own eyes. Um, it would have been nice if he'd stayed that way. But uh, Samuel comes to him and he, and he charges him and he charges the people too at, 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 uh, as he is anointed as king and, and he says, Samuel does, only fear the Lord, only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But the great things that God had done for Saul, they were very quickly became unimportant to him. Uh, spiritual matters, they were, were never really truly his priority, and uh, unless it could you know, bail him out in some way. And um, there was no genuine fear of the Lord with Saul. He, he failed to appreciate the significance of all that God had done for him, much less to appreciate God himself. The Bible says in Psalm 111, verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. And uh, so I think in that there, there's an important connection between having a right and reverent view of God, a right view of ourselves in relation to God and his lordship and wisdom. And, and notice that this wisdom, it works itself out practically in, in personal obedience. But it starts with the knowledge of God. Proverbs 9, verse 10 says it this way. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. But uh, this desire to pursue God, to, to know Him, it really was not present in Saul. And so... He became a fool, and he even, he even said so himself to David. He would, he would later say, Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. And the fundamental problem with Saul, uh, as we look at his life, was that he had no desire to pursue God. He had no desire for God. And therefore, he was a man that was governed by the flesh and not by God. And so, as we come to this passage in 1 Samuel 15, uh, Saul is not many years into his kingship. 
when the word of the Lord comes to him through Samuel to go and to attack the Amalekites and utterly destroy them. Uh, the Amalekites were descendants of Esau. Uh, Esau was the brother of Jacob, as we re- remember. And so uh, they could both trace their ancestry back to, to Isaac. But God made it very clear that his people would come through the line of Jacob. And uh, in Malachi, says, Jacob have I loved, Esau I have hated. Um, Jacob was a man who was, who was concerned about spiritual blessing, a, a failure and a scoundrel many times, but, but ultimately a man who learned to, to cling to the Lord, a man who learned to obey him, even if it meant the disabling of his flesh. And Esau, on the other hand, uh, was never interested in the things of the Lord. He was only interested in, in carnal pursuits, it would seem. And so from his descendants came the Amalekites, which typify for us in Scripture the flesh. Something else about the Amalekites, at an earlier time when the Israelites were brought out of Egypt and they were in the wilderness, uh, the Amalekites attacked them very viciously. And uh, we read about it in Exodus chapter 17 and also Deuteronomy chapter 25. They, they made a very calculated attack, a brutal attack on the people of God, specifically at a time when they were exhausted, when they were weak and tired. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 17 and 19, uh, recounts this for it. And this is the Lord speaking through Moses. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way, on the way as you were coming out of Egypt how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear, when you were tired and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore it shall be, when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around, in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance, that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, you shall not forget. And uh, this is very typical of our fleshly nature. Nature. And I think it's interesting to see that, as we carry that parallel, that God makes a distinction between his redeemed people and the flesh. And as his redeemed, we are in Christ. We are made distinct and holy, uh, even though we are not free from the carnal nature. It's critical to under, that we understand how God views us as Christians. Otherwise, uh, we'll be discouraged and think that God is against us. No, he is for us in this fight and a, and a fight it is. The Bible is very clear about that. Until we reach heaven, there will always be war with the flesh. Galatians chapter 5, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. And typical of our flesh, uh, it often overpowers us at our, our weakest moments. And uh, many times our weak moments are following times when we feel like we are, we've been the strongest. Everything about the flesh is against the rule of God. As Paul said in Romans 7, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. And it's interesting that the record that we just read in Deuteronomy 25, it says of Amalek that he attacked when you were tired and weary and he did not fear God. There's never going to be any respect uh, for the rule of God in our hearts given by the flesh, and because of that, there can't possibly be any truce with it. The flesh, specifically its carnal passions, is really only good for one thing, according to the scriptures, and that word is crucifixion. That thing is crucifixion. It's a brutal word, but that's the language of the Bible. So at the beginning of 1 Samuel 15, Samuel the prophet 
gives Saul clear instruction from the Lord, and it's, it, that instruction is complete destruction. Instruction is complete destruction of Amalek. Livestock, people, there's, there, there were to be no spoils of war. But we read in 1 Samuel 15, verses 7 through 9, this. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, they, that they utterly destroyed. And the problem with Saul was that he stopped short. He did not obey completely, and, and this was a pattern with him. He selectively obeyed and, and stopped fighting. He saw in Amalek things that, that could be salvaged, things that, that could bring him personal glory, uh, which really was his concern all along, above the glory of God. The best things of Amalek, Amalek these things he kept for himself, and uh, he even went so far to lie to Samuel and to say that the spoils he took were for worshiping the Lord. And it was at this point that Samuel rebuked him for his disobedience, and we read again in verses 22 to 23, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. There's a few notable things I I would like for us to look at specifically from this passage uh, tonight. One is that our worship is is a heart issue. It's a a heart issue, a worship issue our worship of the Lord, but it's connected to obedience to Christ. The, the externals are, are never a substitute for that. They're, they are the expressions of our heart, which is of most importance to the Lord. And uh, the prophet Hosea would say something similar. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. And, and the word that he uses there for mercy, it speaks of, of covenant love, covenant uh, love and devotion. And the knowledge of God is not just head knowledge, but this is, this is fellowship, this is communion. It's in, intimate fellowship that produces obedience out of love. And it's interesting that also in this uh, passage uh, in, fir- in 1 Samuel 15 that the words for obey and obeying are also translated here to hear. And of course, to heed, to, to, to perk up the ears uh, has a similar meaning, uh, to hear, to obey. And this calls to mind, the, of course, the passage in James, to be doers of the word and not hearers only. But also along these same, line, same lines, I think something that stands out in this passage is that after this event, we didn't read this far, but towards the end of the chapter, we find it that Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death, it says. And so Saul's disobedience, it had brought on a, a, a basically a, a spiritual deafness. There was, there was no more word of the Lord to him. There, there was estrangement, not only from Samuel, but from the Lord. And then lastly, and, and I think very significantly, uh, there was with Saul a loss of his calling. 
He was called to be king. But this this persistent disobedience it removed this privilege of being used by God in this way from him. And true kingship is having a shepherd's heart. And this is something that Saul had abandoned very early in his reign, uh, being concerned really just with self-interest. And in like, in like manner, disobedience is, is the refusal of the reign of the good shepherd. And uh, instead, it seeks to be self-governed, which is really the same thing as idolatry. Uh, the, the rule and worship of self. And the interesting thing about that is that this self-governing, it always leads to war. It always leads to strife and contention, lack of peace, lack of joy, just misery. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 1 says this, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? And so with Saul, uh, we have been given in Scripture a, I think a very distinct example of the outcome of a life that lacked devotion to God, lacked concern for God, that always catered to the desires and the passions of the flesh over the desires of God. And in his life, we see the end result of of persistent disobedience and the tragedy that it was, not only for him, but, but for the congregation of Israel. And of course, you know, when we look at his life under his reign, we don't hear uh, any mention of outsiders coming to faith or coming to a correct knowledge of the living God. We certainly find that with David. And uh, we find in Saul a man who, who in, the, in the end uh, could not hear God, but it was because he didn't want to hear what God had to say. There's another passage I'd, I'd like for us to look at this evening, and that's in Mark's Gospel, chapter 12. New Testament, Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, uh, verses 28 to 33. And this is uh, always, I think, top of the list as we consider (laughs) this topic of devotion to the Lord and love for the Lord. And I'd like to read it through, and then we'll we'll discuss a few things from it. Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 to 33. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceived that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, The first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second like it is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Well, this question came to the Lord amid other questions that were being brought to him by the Pharisees and scribes, they were generally intending to, to catch him in his words somehow. Uh, but this particular scribe uh, seems to have been impressed with the responses uh, of the Lord to those questions. So he asked him, I believe, a, a genuine question. Uh, the, the scribes had apparently <clears throat> come up with a way <clears throat> to summarize the commandments uh, given in the law into a total of 613. And... <laughs> Then they begin to further categorize them basically into, into two smaller categories, those of weightier significance and those of less significance or less binding. 
And then they couldn't agree on this. And, um, and so this scribe brings the question to Jesus. I mean, can you imagine going to the Lord and saying, which, which part of your word is important? Um, but anyway, you know, we do that subconsciously, though. And as is customary with the Lord, uh, he went straight to the heart of the issue. And the heart of the issue is love. And Paul would, would later write in 1 Corinthians 13, but have not love, uh, I'm sorry, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Without love, it profits me nothing. Love for Christ, that's the issue. Not deciding what I can and can't get away with. And this love for Christ is, is not possible unless he first, of course, overwhelms our heart with his love through the new birth. And then the, the flames of that love kept alive through the work of his spirit, showing us more and more of his person as we meditate upon him and, uh, and, and, and see him through, through the eyes of faith. This is a place of rest. It's a place of, uh, of just resting in the Lord that he wants us to be. And he said this in John chapter 15. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And this, this obedience that he's talking about is not to earn Christ's love, but to, but to enjoy it without distance in the relationship due to disobedience. And uh, so the more the, the believer lives uh, submitted to Christ, the more he's able to just enjoy and understand that the love of God for him. So, so Jesus' response to the scribe's question uh, is to quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And he, and, and he says, uh, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And interestingly, uh, the word for hear in Deuteronomy is the same word for obey in the Hebrew. And one, the, the word for one there, it indicates unity, the unity of the Godhead. And so to know God, to have understanding of him, to, to hear him, and, and, and have an ear to obey, this precedes the rest. Because to know God is to love him, and to love him is to obey his words. Not by compulsion, but, but because of his great love toward us already demonstrated. The Apostle Paul had counted all of his prior accomplishments, his prior achievements according to the law, uh, just a total loss. And then he would write in Philippians chapter 3, Yet indeed, I, can, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. And, uh, and so what's the application then for us? Well, we're all here because we love the Lord we, we, and we want to love him better. And uh, the ideals of Jesus' words in this passage, uh, no Christian has attained to. But the, but the prospect of having a, 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 a deeper relationship with the Lord, that excites us. And the first step is given by the Lord in his response to the scribe uh, <clears throat> to, to inflame love for Christ is, is to know him. This is a, this is a personal knowledge, not, not knowledge that is explained by someone else. Uh, It's knowledge of him as he has revealed himself in his word, his nature, his attributes, his authority, his love, obviously demonstrated in dying for my personal sin, the shame that he endured, that he 
he, that he bore on my account, his glory, uh, the, the fact that he's returning soon. And we're called as believers to meditate upon him, to feed on him and these things. And the more we know, the, the, the more we will want to know. And so Paul's prayer for the Ephesian believers was that they may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's, that was his desire, and that's our desire. And the Lord desires that for us. But then the next part of the Lord's response was, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Love for Jesus Christ, supremely, most important. To love him with, with everything we have, spiritually, mentally, and, and bodily. And the more we know of him, the more fervent our love for him will be. We want to love him in this way, but it's not something that, again, that any believer has attained. <clears throat> it's a lifelong pursuit. <clears throat> and Paul would write in the Philippian letter, basically say that. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. And I'm very comforted by that, uh, that the great Apostle Paul was not not even able to live this devoted, but was still loved, still used by God. And so this gives us great assurance that the Lord has the same love for us. Um, you know, often we hear well-meaning people uh, say, and I think an attempt to, to be encouraging, um, God will not give you anything you can't handle. And, uh, well, uh, oftentimes I, I find that issues arise in my life that are way over my head. Um, and I flat out can't handle them. And uh, when, we, when God appeared to Gideon and, 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 and basically called him out of hiding, he said to him, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And uh, Gideon knew there was, there was no way he could accomplish that task as far as his own resources went. But he won a great victory for Israel. And it was because the Lord said, surely I will be with you. That made the difference. And another example is when there had been a, a long day of ministry, uh, the disciples came to Jesus. It was getting late. They were urging him, to, you know, you need to let the people go home and get something to eat. And... Um, uh, they, and Jesus, I mean, if you can imagine the look on their faces as the Lord looked to them and said, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they had nothing sufficient uh, in themselves to fulfill the, that command of the Lord. Their own resources were, were pathetic at best, but they did. And the reason they did is because Jesus said, bring them here to me. Bring what you have to me. And so uh, we have every reason uh, to believe that he will do the same for us. And when he, he calls me deeper to love him with everything I have, as insufficient as my resources to do that are, and as, as quite frankly, as cowardly and cold as my love is in comparison with that ideal, uh, I know that he will help me because he loved me first. And so it is with all of us. As David said in Psalm 138, verse 8, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. So this covenant love of Christ, it cannot fail, even though mine is, is far from perfect. 
the the commandments of the Lord then uh, they're not burdensome. And well, what's the reason for that? Well, Jesus answers that in Matthew chapter eleven, verses twenty-eight to thirty. He says, "Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart." And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So it's because he is with us. He is shouldering our burdens and our cares alongside us. He's yoked to us in love. Emmanuel, God with us. So he he calls us to a, a whole new realm of operation. And this is the realm of the Spirit. And by his Holy Spirit, he enables us to love. He enables us to mature. He enables us to be more effective as as his servants and advancing his king, in his kingdom, uh, if we will just submit to him. Jesus then gave to the scribe the second commandment in terms of uh, priority, and the second like it is this, Jesus said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So uh, the order of Jesus' response is, is know God with understanding, love God with everything you have, and love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, when we love the Lord and, and what, he, what he loves will become what we love, and he loves people. And, uh, you know, if we're having trouble loving others, particularly those who are lost, uh, often uh, perhaps repulsive to us because of their sinful practices, a good place to start would be with his instruction here to, to draw near to him. The Bible says draw near to God that he, might, uh, draw near to, he will draw near to you. And, um, and then have our priorities reoriented by his love. And uh, as we grow in love with him, he will, uh, we will love more of the things that he loves. There's a similar account uh, in Luke chapter 10. And um, afterwards, Jesus gives these words, uh, uh, where after Jesus gives these words, a scribe wanting to justify himself, he comes to the Lord and he says, but who is my neighbor? And, um, of course, we're familiar with that section of Scripture because of the parable of the Good Samaritan, but... But what's interesting to me is, is the Lord's question back to the scribe at the end of the parable. And he said to him, So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And the scribe's question was, uh, Who is my neighbor? But the Lord's response was, Basically, who are you neighboring? And that's the issue. And, uh, and so the Lord asked him, So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said, go and do likewise. And so again, we hear in this the the heart of God towards sinners as expressed by Hosea. I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. And uh, this is the heart that he desires for us, too, as as instruments of his love. And uh, it comes by way of of communion with him, of of knowing him. This is ministry. And uh, by ministry, it's, it's not only just the ministry to the saved, but uh, that's a big part of it. But perhaps what is more in view here is the ministry of the lost, the one that fell among thieves and has been robbed, the one that's half dead, well, spiritually de- dead. And uh, it's ministry that comes out of a, a pursuit of God first and a heart to obey him. And uh, when the Lord stirs us to this, it's, it, I think it's very exciting, uh, something we should take immediate action on. But 
to think that Satan will take this lying down is naive. And um, I think we should expect the attacks as we attempt to to pursue the Lord in this way. Because the last thing that Satan wants is a devoted Christian, a Christian that is determined to, to love God wholeheartedly. And uh, that is a major threat to his kingdom. It means freedom, or at least the opportunity to be free to those who are held captive by it, uh, that are in the radius of that Christian. Uh, the Bible says, uh, Paul, Paul would write, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And Paul knew quite a bit about this kind of opposition, and he writes about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. So we're not looking for trouble, and thankfully we've, we haven't had to endure what Paul did, and we certainly haven't had to endure what many of our brothers and sisters do for, uh, for their, their, their faith in the Lord. Uh, but we do know what it is to be attacked, and oftentimes from, from more than one direction. It can be perplexing, it can be intimidating, it can be mortifying to the flesh, and all of the circumstances uh, might even suggest that we're outside the will of God. Yet you know you are being obedient, and God will honor that. Uh, a life devoted to him, it will spread his life to others. And as Paul writes concerning his troubles, he says in Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, For all things are for your sakes, that the grace, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. It's with a purpose. There's another passage uh, that uh, I would like to just look at this evening that I think helps us to see this relationship between uh, devotion or obedience to the Lord as the the priority of our life and ministry, but also, very importantly, joy. On two different occasions, the Lord expressed his desire that that our joy may be full. And uh, this is the, uh, what we're going to look at here is the first few uh, verses in Matthew chapter 5. It's a well-known passage, the Sermon on the Mount. And so Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to, verses 1 through 2, which I think um, it just hopefully will bring some of this out, is it, the Lord says, uh, it says of the Lord, and seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. So Jesus had been ministering in the area of Galilee, and uh, from the previous chapter, we we understand that there were great multitudes that were starting to to throng around him, and and in these multitudes, there were all kinds of different people, people with all kinds of different needs. There were, um, of course, salvation being the fundamental need, of course, but there were the sick, there were lame, there were those who were demon possessed, there were epileptics, uh, all kinds of issues that people had. And um, this, the, the attraction to Christ of all different kinds. As well, no doubt, <clears throat> those who were there just to see some kind of a performance. Um, and I believe genuine seekers as well, just as there are in any crowd. But interestingly, as he saw this gathering throng of people, he, he withdrew with his disciples up on a mountain. And uh, in view of the multitude... But what was important to the Lord before reaching the multitude was time alone with his disciples to teach them. 
And the message he gives is, is, is really, as we look through the Sermon on the Mount, primarily for the disciples, even though it was overheard by the crowds at some point. Um, and the intent, it would seem, is that the disciples would be instructed and return to the multitudes to show them through lives of obedience and love the way of salvation. And I believe that that's very significant for us uh, as believers. Our time alone with the Lord is is not, not only needed for our own growth, for our own development, but it's, it's necessary uh, to be prepared to live out our faith before a world that just can't comprehend spiritual things. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And uh, so the way that we are saved, all of us, is being attracted to Christ first as he is exalted. And then the, the new birth before this, these spiritual things can be understood. And this attraction to Christ, it takes place as, as his people exalt him, as they lift him up each day uh, in, in, in our lives. Uh, this, is, this is our daily worship. This is the draw, the daily exaltation of Jesus Christ in the lives of his people. Jesus said in John chapter 12, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. In the context that the Lord said that, uh, he was speaking of his crucifixion. And of course, in the context of our witness, it it is often by the crucifying of the flesh, which, which is obedience to the Lord when it's painful that the Lord is lifted up to see. And then in verse 2, it says, Then he opened his mouth and taught them. And so again, with, with, with the multitudes in view and with uh, a, a desire to, to reach them, he begins to teach his disciples. But what stands out to me in this is that, you know, I, too often when I go to the Lord, I, I have my mouth open too much. Um, and, and there's not much listening that's going on. And uh, Jesus is the one that, had, that, that, that spoke and the one that we need to hear from. And uh, so Jesus opening his mouth to teach, it requires listening on our part. And it's not a, a selective kind of listening, uh, but a hearing to obey and to gain understanding. And many, many times I think we could come to the Lord, we have a troubling issue, um, and uh, uh, you know, we're wondering what the Lord would have us to do, but instead of casting it upon him and leaving it there, you know, we tend to grovel in it. We tend to just want to keep our hands on it. And uh, I understand as well as anyone how difficult that is uh, to not do. But I think when we do that, uh, we fail to hear his voice many times and uh, uh, because we just can't be still and wait. He wants us to come to him in, in complete dependence and to listen to him. He's, he, he understands the need. He's already heard our calling out to him, and he knows how the situation is going to be worked out. Psalm 40, verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. And then looking one more verse in Matthew 5, the next verse, verse 3, the first word out of the mouth of Jesus is blessed, which is also translated happy. He says to his disciples, blessed or, or happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed, that's that's the condition of peace and rest and, and joy. And uh, and again, he's saying this while seeing the all the unrest and all the, the lack of peace in the multitudes that had gathered. And this joy and, and this peace is what he desired for them. 
and uh, and his desire was and still is uh, to teach them the way of true joy and true fulfillment in life through the lives of his people. Isaiah said, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And all the Beatitudes, and we're only just looking at this one, they're, they're all descriptions of the desired character of the Christian, the character that will go on as he would, would later describe in this passage, salt and light in the world. Um, and it's interesting, though, that this is the first one. Blessed or happy are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit, they're, they're not those who are defeated. They're not those who are just, you know, um, knuckles dragging all the time. There's really nothing attractive about that. The ones that are always beating themselves up. But these believers had learned to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ in their lives. They were not self-exalting, but they, they, they had learned how to be dependent upon him. And uh, they learned to essentially be governed by God. It's a surrendered life to the will of God. Not perfect, of course, but as a, as a pattern over time. And uh, Saul was the exact opposite of this. And he had no rest, he had no joy. In fact, wherever Saul went, just <laughs> created divisions and problems uh, wherever he went. And uh, just living a very self-oriented life. But the poor in spirit, those submitted to and, and governed by God, they have joy because they have the kingdom of God. Uh, they didn't. They don't earn it, but they have it. Not only it's not only a, f- a future for them, but it, it's now too. And uh, they, the, as believers, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when everything else is is unraveling, uh, as Jesus promised in John chapter fourteen, verse twenty three, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. I mean, what a promise! What a reality! He was not going to take his disciples out of the world, not yet anyway, and remove them from the sorrows of this life. But he was going to send them back into it as salt and light, as a city upon a hill where they could live out their faith uh, in a way that exalted him for, for all to see what constitutes true joy. And so uh, I think for us, when circumstances are not so good, uh, we can easily think that, well, if they would change or if possessions would change, uh, we would be happy, or that it would be a, maybe a sign of God's blessing. Uh, not that it couldn't be, but Jesus is always much more concerned about his character being formed in us, uh, which will then bring happiness, bring blessing to our circumstances, not, n- n- no matter how difficult they are or how, uh, whether they change or not. And so he's more concerned with changing our character than, than changing our circumstances, Uh, Because the person that's shaped more and more into the image of Christ will bring blessing and happiness and life uh, to the suffering that's around them. And then a few thoughts as we conclude this evening. Um, It's important to remember that that perfect obedience and character, as we said at the outset, these things we have not attained. This kind of character was only fulfilled by one man, and that is the man Jesus Christ, our Savior. And I, I know that we're clear on that, but... As we deal with a topic like this that that focuses on the ideals that God has put in Scripture, uh, I think we need to be reminded that they are they are there for us uh, to pursue in earnest, to pursue them in earnest all of our lives uh, in an ever-growing and, and deepening and, and maturing faith, but also to know that we will be perfected in heaven, not here. Uh, 
and uh, obedience, devotion to Christ. They're, they're not pursued to obtain any kind of st- a standing with God, but because we have it already. Uh, and as Samuel told Saul, consider what great things he has done for you. And so, you know, Paul would pick up on this in Romans chapter 12 to be speaking about living sacrifices. And he says it's our reasonable service. It's a fitting response. And on top of that, there's so much blessing and opportunity to be useful to the Lord in ministry and joy that that translates to in our own lives. But our sufficiency before God and in this life is in Christ alone and by his grace. Second Corinthians chapter three says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. And Jesus would say similarly in John chapter 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And so uh, for this reason we draw near to him. We draw near to him fully assured, full assurance of faith, because he has justified us and he has made us sufficient. So as we uh, pursue wholehearted devotion to the Lord, there's uh, uh, an encouraging passage of Scripture also in 2 Corinthians 3 that I think helps us to understand the, the simplicity of our faith, of our, of our maturing more and more into the devoted follower of Christ that we desire to be, um, so that we're not focused on reforming externals, but we're focused on the one thing of most importance, and that is the Lord, our relationship to him. So here is that encouragement for us. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So to grow and to mature, and I think this is very important, spiritually, uh, it just simply means spending time to look into the face of Jesus. And how do we do that? Well, we behold him in his word and what he's revealed about himself and what he will reveal about himself as we seek him there. Uh, the, the mirror is God's word, and he is the word. The volume of the book testifies of him, Scripture said. The Lord said that of himself. And it changes us more and more from glory to glory into the image of Christ. And so uh, as we come to his word honestly, with, with ears to hear, a heart to obey, and just allow the Spirit to, to reveal his character, his submission to the will of the Father, his sorrow, Uh, His mercy, His grace, all those attributes about our Lord that we love so much, His patience, His compassion, His humility, His long-suffering, His love, then we begin to find those same things being developed more and more in our character. And, And I love how simplistic the Lord has made it. We don't have to focus on external reform, but we look to Jesus. We look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith in His Word, and allow him to change us from the inside out, more and more into the image of Christ. To know him, that's our our greatest privilege. It's also our duty to fear God, meaning to to reverence him, to behold him in all, to to wonder, uh, to adore him above everything else. And to keep his commandments, says Solomon, is the whole duty of man. And as we do, though, we'll find that there will be a passion that does begin to develop more and more, a love for Christ that will flame up and, and consequently, uh, love for others, those that he loves. 
And, um, you know, it was, it was as the Lord opened the word for the disciples on the, the road to Emmaus that uh, they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So our hearts, they will change and uh, joy will replace sorrow and we become more useful for ministry. The same Lord that, that commanded light to come from darkness in the beginning, he continues to do that now as we look to him. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So as we pursue the Lord, we ought to know that Satan will throw every hindrance that he can at us to prevent this from happening. He will try to discourage. He will try to stop us. But the Lord has commanded us. He has called us. And with his commands come enabling and protection. And uh, so where we fall short of this, which we all do, there's nothing profitable about rehearsing our failures uh, in the flesh over and over, over again. We leave them with the Lord. We move on by his grace. It's done. And uh, if we don't, we won't be able to serve him as he wants us to. Uh, when Saul was rejected by God, it grieved Samuel um, to a point where his grieving over Saul became excessive. And uh, God had to rebuke him. And uh, he said, how long will you mourn for Saul? I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. So we should also forget those things that uh, are our failures, and we should move on in the grace of God. We should let the king of kings rule in our hearts uh, as we move forward and have joy. The scribe's response to Jesus again was, There is one God, and there is no other but he, and to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And so tonight, may we affirm uh, this same thing also, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. And so we'll close with this verse from Philippians chapter 3. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we do pray that you would do your work in us. Lord, may we look to you, the author and finisher of our faith. And as we do, Lord, may you ignite us. Lord, may you impassion us and embolden us for ministry. May you find us useful, Lord. We ask that you would get us all home safely. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.